0: feel like Gaia or Mother Earth is is kind of self-regulating in a way. I think one of the most challenging things many of us will face is our own inner voice, who are we without the productivity? Who are we without our careers? Who are we without our audiences?
1: Perhaps like the fashion industry was overly productive. There was just
0: so much stuff. I would really love to see some A-grade fashion brands come forwards and say, "Hey, we're not going to put out 50 seasons a year anymore."
1: Yeah. We're just not
0: going
1: to do it. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF podcast. Over the past couple of weeks, we've brought together our global community in a series of live digital events, connecting people on the topics, ideas, and themes that are so important as the world grapples with the coronavirus. One of these people was the inspiring actor, activist, and rapper Riz Ahmed. I spoke with Riz on Instagram to learn more about his perspectives on what's happening in the world right now, to learn about his interest in something he calls conscious fashion, and to learn about his most recent creative project, The Long Goodbye. Here's Riz Ahmed inside fashion. There he is. Hey, what how you doing? Not bad, you changed your hair. Yeah, this is what happens
0: on day seven of quarantine. Oh, right. <laughs> Did you you
1: cut it at home.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you've kind of found yourself drastically rearranging your furniture or shaving off parts of your body hair, but, um, <laughs> or maybe braiding unexpected parts of your body hair, but I've just, uh, yeah, I was just kind of feeling a little bit stir crazy and needed a haircut, so I just took the clippers to it. I'd, I'd recommend it. Very, very therapeutic.
1: It's l- liberating getting rid of those locks. It is yeah.
0: Yeah. How you doing? How are you keeping? It's a crazy time.
1: You know it is a crazy time. Um I was actually in Italy uh just when the the outbreak happened there and then I was in Paris for fashion week. So I have been working from home for a while. I went into the office for a few days after the kind of got cleared. I had no issues, but then, you know, this has been my situation for a few weeks now. Our whole office is obviously working from home, has been for um, more than 10 days now. So, you know, getting used to it. I'm grateful to be healthy. I'm grateful that my family and my team are healthy. Um, But this is a very challenging moment, I think, for all of us to to make sense of. How how are things on your side?
0: Yeah, um, I think similar to yourself, it feels like there are two very contradictory sets of feelings that are kind of fighting for space in my brain and in my heart right now. And One of them is a sense of real gratitude um, to be relatively safe and healthy, gratitude to be living in a country that um, you know, can probably deal with this issue a bit better than some of the other countries that this virus will hit, and also kind of in awe, I would say, rather than grateful, of this kind of biblical moment that has such kind of, I don't know, um, you know, it it has such a a kind of almost poetic biblical colour to it, and I'm really hesitating in expressing that because I really understand that there's this other side also, which is, this creeping dread and anxiety and awareness of the lives that are being lost and that will continue to be lost. Um, And, um, you know, the fogginess of our horizons makes it very hard to feel productive and to, you know, really there's the loss of control and helplessness. So that exists. And yet there's also this kind of big picture when I step out of almost my own body, my own mind, when I kind of try and step back from a human perspective and look at it from a planetary point of view, it does feel like Gaia or Mother Earth is is kind of self-regulating in a way. You know, she's banished us all to a meditation retreat of some kind. Now, that, that is an incredibly um, a positive spin on what is a devastating virus that will kill many, many people. And I don't mean to undermine that. But as I said, there's these two kind of contradictory feelings that are going on with me. And funnily enough, we spoke about this when we first met Imran, is that you know what a big impact on your life, Vipassana meditation yeah um and meditation retreats have had yeah, it's almost like we've all been we've all been grounded and sent back to our rooms to think about what we've done to the planet, and we have to you know meditate on this, and we have to face ourselves and we have to i think one of the most challenging things many of us will face is our own inner voice who are we without the the productivity, who are we without our careers, who are we without our audiences, you know without our social lives? So, there's something profoundly spiritual, poetic, meditative and and necessary about what's happening right now from a planetary and spiritual perspective, and yet just on a human level it's fucking terrifying yeah and and awful, so that's kind of where I'm at,
1: yeah, and I guess the other layer <clears throat> for me is just just below that is just like I'm worried about my parents, you know I'm worried about people who are vulnerable to these illnesses yeah. to this illness. And so there's this like slight, especially when you start hearing stories about people who are, were apparently healthy. Um, So, you know, I'm grateful to be healthy, but, and I I see this like as a really important moment of like global reflection and like a big pause or reset, Mm -hmm. but also like there's this like anxiety about like this thing is spreading and it's a lot, it's a lot to think about. It's hard.
0: Yeah, it certainly is. It certainly is, and I kind of do think that the world won't ever fully go back to the way it was. Yeah, I'd like to think that we'll move forwards, but I, I think this is a watershed moment yeah. in the same way that nine eleven was, or the same way that the financial crash was. Um, and I'm wondering what that new world looks like. I'm wondering how we will play a part in shaping that new world.
1: Yeah,
0: and you know, with reference to the fashion industry, I wonder whether there are. Um, yeah, what your kind of forecast might be
1: around what, what the future oh looks like. Oh my gosh. I mean, I think for me, the thing that's come into sharp relief is the conversation that our industry has been having about sustainability, which I know is something you've been thinking about a lot with some mm-hmm. of your you know, collaborators. Um, and it feels like a lot of these things that were kind of bubbling under the surface are just going to get like an acceleration or a boost from this once. Once we do get through this, um, those conversations are not going to be held in, you know, close quarters anymore. They're going to become the dominant conversations. It was already happening, you know. I think, but it, I think it's just going to take it take those uh, conversations to a whole new level, especially when it comes to you know. You were using the word productivity on a personal level. I'm also thinking about productivity on an industry level. I mean, I think perhaps like the fashion industry was overly productive. You know, we were serving this like human overconsumption, you know, there was just so much stuff, you know, and I, you know, we did a story earlier this year and did some research and, you know, it turns out the, the fashion industry produced 114 billion garments of clothing last year. That's crazy you know I and mean, if 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 you just think about that you know i i was it was already etched into my brain and i've just been thinking about that number and like what that means if you if you took those garments and you allocated them mostly to people in the west or into the, like developing econ- developed mm-hmm. economies it's like an like a, a staggering number of pieces of clothing per person because people were wearing their clothes for such short periods of time um yeah so i feel like it's very hard to predict exactly what the world's going to be like after. But the one thing I feel a lot of people seem to be taking away from this is like this over-consumption situation.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kind of uh, having a look at the comments as you're speaking. And a lot of people kind of, you know, what you're saying is resonating with a lot of people in that um, this is un- unsustainable. Yeah. You know, I think we were kind of driving off a cliff Um you know, with our eyes closed or blindfolded. And I think now we, you know, we're off the end of that cliff or this is that moment of reckoning, isn't it? And there's yeah. something about this moment that's causing us to go home and reflect, causing us to think about the way we live, the way our society is organized. Because I do think that, you know, the inequality in our society, the lack of universal health care in some societies, namely America, as a most prominent example of a rich country that refuses to provide basic healthcare to its citizens. Um, all these things are kind of just highlighted in a moment like this. You know, the fault lines, the fractures, the weaknesses, the failings of our society to kind of operate and live as a community. You know, the failings of, of our society to behave like a society is becoming really, really transparent right now. And I really hope that we do kind of move forwards in, in a new way with, with regards to the, to the fashion industry. I would really love to see some, you know, A-grade fashion brands come forwards and say, hey, we're not we're not going to put out 50 seasons a year anymore.
1: Yeah. We're yeah. just not
0: going to do it. We're going to make less clothes. They're going to be a little bit more special. And um, you're going to have a different relationship to those clothes. I would just really love to see that. And um, I wonder whether this is the wake-up call of course, this isn't a kind of emergency from an environmental point of view. There's something about this mean this moment that feels like a reckoning. And I would love to see that happen. I mean, I wonder, do you think that that is something that is possible? Do you think we could see these top fashion brands, you know, lead the charge, you know, and say, hey, guess what? We don't need to. I mean, how many, how many collections does your average kind of, you know, A-grade fashion brand put out a year? Would you you say? know,
1: I think... I think it's up to us to lead the charge. I think consumers are going to have to lead that charge. Mm. And, and I how? Think, how? What does that look like? I think it's about ultimately if everyone's having this moment of reflection, this pause, this poetic, biblical opportunity to reflect, then that has to then be reflected in each of our, our individual behaviors. Because that system of 114 billion garments is only sustainable because we as consumers are enabling it, and so if we continue to enable it, the businesses will continue to operate that way. Um, so I think the behavioral change, the shift is going to have to come from us.: Yeah. The companies yeah. will follow the consumer, the companies will follow what people are you know asking for. and I think that's going to be tricky. Um, so l- let's see. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I I I do um do agree with you. You know, I think that we have to vote with our feet. We have to vote with our with our wallets. You know, we have to kind of reflect our values with our wallets. You know, uh, over the last kind of four or five years, I've become more and more involved in in you know, in fashion. I'd say you know, just kind of uh, building relationships with young designers. Um, and established designers, you know, getting to know you and educating myself, you know, in conversation with you. And the reason why clothes and fashion matter to me so much is because, to me, they are the most immediate reflection of your identity or your values, you know? It's a way of signaling who you are. It's a way of signaling your tribe. It's a way of signaling, in a way, what you believe in, you know? And so if we can kind of really... um, Really drill down on what that means and understand that actually, it's not just you are what you eat. It's you are what you wear. Mm-hmm. You know, if the clothing that you have um, decided to buy, decided to put on, is produced ethically, that is a reflection of who you are. That is a reflection of your values. And I do think that we're seeing a generation of young people now coming up who are ready to kind of commit. You know, to their values in the way they dress, ready to 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 advertise their values. Um, in you know and and signal their values in what they're wearing, and this is kind of part of what's driving a project that I've been working on, as you know, in the background for for a while now, which is to kind of create a curated space for sustainable fashion. That's something that I've been heavily involved in, in the last you know year and a half or so, and it's something that I hope to kind of you know bring to the public before too long. Um, is 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 just a kind of go to destination for for great sustainable clothes. And actually, even the word sustainable is problematic. So I'm kind of, I I prefer to use the word conscious fashion, you know, and I think if we can kind of create spaces where consumers can connect to conscious clothing, then I think we might be able to make this transition, which is a much needed transition from being, um, from fashion conscious to conscious fashion. Yeah. you know that's the transition mm-hmm. that we need to be making um and i yeah i'm looking forward to try and kind of help play my part in that
1: in yeah that transition I, I think that's that's really great that you've been thinking about that and i think i don't know if you've had any conversations with anyone in government or policy makers but i think they also have a role to play to hold you think legislation yeah because think I think, legislation helps me. well i think obviously consumers have a part to play i think You know, there has to be, I don't know if you know, but in France, there's this um, minister of ecology I met with who's amazing. Her name is Brune Poisson. She put in place some legislation that bans companies from burning products that they don't sell, for example. Yeah, because, you know, fashion companies were like incinerating products. Um, But I think it's going to take, you know, actions from consumers, actions from government and then ultimately actions from companies but i don't know i just don't trust the companies to do it all on their own i think they're going to have to be held to account and it's up to you know it's up to consumers to do it and it's up to to, to to legislation to keep companies in line because ultimately you know these are a lot a lot of them are like publicly held companies uh, mm-hmm. publicly traded companies and you know they're incentivized to grow and make more money mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So, it's interesting isn't it kind of to see that and that's that's the french government is it that's yeah. kind of passed that law.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, it's interesting, isn't it? Because so much of, um, of our, our, our fight for the environment, our fight for the planet will, will, will boil down to, um, the bravery of, of, of leaders in government, the brave bravery of leaders in industry. And yes, I, I, I do think that I'm a big believer in people power. I'm a big believer that we can kind of, as I said, um you know use our money to show what we care about and the way we want the 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 world to to um progress but we do also need that leadership and that's why i think you know platforms like yours are so important as well because i think you know what you've been shining a light on in the last you know for a very long time now and what you managed to do with your kind of voices platform as well is bring together leadership in industry um and in fashion across the world um So I do think it's 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 somewhere in that kind of sweet spot of kind of visible leaders in government and industry taking a stand and then also consumers going, hey, you know what? We're going to hack this for ourselves. We're going to find ways of accessing the coolest, you know, sustainable clothing. So I think it's somewhere between those two to to Mm.
1: find a solution. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to have this conversation with you without talking about your latest big project, which um, you've been working on and you've been telling me about a little bit in the background and you've been very, you know, using back to your word productivity, you've been very productive recently. Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, the long goodbye and the work that you've been doing about the breakup with Britain and how that whole project came together?
0: Yeah, well, um, so I've just released this album. It's called The Long Goodbye. And um, it's interesting. I usually release music, for those that don't know, under the name Riz MC for the last 15 years now. And it's always just been a passion of mine. It's been a a space for me to kind of express my unfiltered voice. It's the time where I get to write the lines that I'm saying. I'm the director. I'm the composer. You know, I I get to just kind of put it all um, out there and speak from the heart. But this time, I haven't released it under the name Riz MC. I've released it under the name Riz Ahmed, and that's because I feel that it's a time for unmasking. It's a time for kind of being your full, unapologetic self, and um, it's an album that comes from a really, really personal place. Um, it's a concept album, and the album is a story of. Um, it's a breakup album, really. You know, it's an album about being dumped by the country that you call home, and so. Um, It kind of charts a story of me being dumped by Britannia, a.k.a. Britney. And it's interesting as I've been kind of, you know, promoting the album and putting out there on social media, people from the Philippines to Russia to Hungary to India to America have have all similarly kind of felt this. um, I felt this, I felt kind of a little bit unwanted in in a country that they call home, in a home that they built. And I almost feel like it's the other global pandemic that we're facing right now is rising intolerance, rising hate, you yeah. know, um, distrust of outsiders, nativism, xenophobia. And so, yeah, it's a concept album that that kind of talks about this feeling, um, that I started having post Brexit of feeling a little bit unwanted in my own country. Um, and it talks about this issue from a very emotional, personal place of, of this breakup with Brittany or Britannia. And there's, um, I just actually dropped a new music video for it last night. Honestly. I saw it. Yeah. And, um, and there's a, there's also a short film that goes with it, directed by Anil Karia, which um which That film of,
1: was just, yeah I, 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 it was devastating for me. Like I felt that, you know, I've talked to a few um, Muslims living in the West and everyone had kind of the same reaction, which is like it spoke, spoke to me so deeply on a level that I hadn't really considered before because I think you know a lot of people don't understand what it's like to have and we both have the same last name actually so like every time you or I have to cross international borders um you know or we have um to kind of you know be who we are in the worlds in which we occupy there's you know, that that comes with certain challenges, and, and we're privileged, you know. And you and I are like s- seriously privileged individuals. Um, and so these situations that you know that you it captured in that film, which started with such a lighthearted, happy, familial vibe, and then turned into this dystopic um, fear, that I think maybe is so deep seated in a lot of us. I, it really spoke oh, yeah. to me. Well, thank, thank you, you so yeah. much for doing that. No, I
0: appreciate it. I mean it's interesting like the you know you make things from the heart, you're not sure what reactions they'll get, but it's been crazy to see the response um as you said, you know for you know Muslims in India and Britain and America, but also people from just all different communities kind of saying, um, this is where we're headed. you know I won't ruin the film by by talking about um what happens in it, but if you are interested, check out the long goodbye it was It was kind of bizarrely it was it was mentioned in British Parliament, actually.
1: I the saw day that. After
0: it came out, which is I crazy. Saw
1: that.
0: Um, so I'm glad it's starting conversations and I, and I hope people will check it out and then make their own mind up about what the film's saying. But, um, but, you know, the reason I made this film and the reason I made this album is because I would find myself in rooms full of quite successful people of all different backgrounds, Jewish, Black, Muslim, you know, East Asian. And they would say things, you know, whether in Europe or in the UK or in America. And they would say, you know, I'm not sure whether it will be safe for my kids to live in this country. I'm not sure whether by the time it gets to my grandchildren's generation, will they be cursing me for having stayed when I had the chance to get out? Yeah. You know, and that's something I'd never really heard before growing up. And I thought that my role as an artist is to kind of just name this feeling and explore this feeling from an emotional point of view, not get into a, you know, intellectual debate about multiculturalism and immigration, but just say, you know what this feels like? It feels like a heartbreak. A lot of people feel heartbroken right now. And, and that's really what the album's about.
1: Um, so yeah, it's, it's called A Long Goodbye. And if people are interested, I, I hope they'll check it out. They should definitely check it out. Um, Riz, how much of the film was you know, triggered by Brexit? Do you think that brought it to the surface?
0: I, I think that was probably the straw that brought the camel's back. Yeah. Um, I think that crystallized a lot of um, hidden prejudices, you know, in our society and the way that Trump's election did in America. But actually, the album takes quite a long view. It actually starts off with a music video that I dropped last night is the first track on the album. It kind of starts off with the moment where we very, you know, the very first moment that we met um, me and Britney or me and Britannia, you know, back in the 1700s in India, when we were just kind of seeing each other, there was no commitment. And then she moved in without asking yeah. me. And she started, yeah. like, using all my stuff. Um, uh, and so it, it kind of takes this kind of holistic view. And I do think that right now is a moment of reflection for all of us to stop and have a look at our governments, look at our societies and say, we need to redefine this relationship. Yeah. You know, we need to call out the elements of this relationship that are toxic. We need to call out the fact that maybe... Immigrants are villainized, but they've contributed so much to these societies. We need to call out the fact that universal health care isn't available in these societies. You know, this is a moment right now, I think, of, of reckoning and and renegotiating what we expect from our social contract, you know, with with other people in society and with our governments. So, yeah, as I say, I kind of feel like there's something quite, quite timely
1: about about the album, even in these current circumstances. I mean, you were supposed to go on tour, right? To kind of promote the album. So this situation kind of like, it got in the way of your productivity. And how are you, how are you um, kind of pivoting your strategy for promoting the album and and what you do around it in this current situation?
0: We're all having to reimagine our roles, right? And I think right now, a lot of artists are wondering what their role is. I was about to go on tour in the US and America. I was putting together a really special live show with Manchester International Festival and Brooklyn Academy of Music, a concert that's also kind of tells the story of the breakup. And I'm really sad people who are gonna come and see there, you know, it was all sold out. Um, we won't be able to see them right now, but hopefully we'll be back later. But what I've decided to pivot to is to go from the long goodbye tour to the long lockdown festival. <laughs> so while we're all in lockdown, I'm actually doing events. We did a, a group a live screening of Four Lions with the other actors on Monday. Um, and tomorrow I'm going to be in conversation with Hasan Minaj and Kaz Khan. Um, and we're going to be having a con- con- conversation on Instagram. About- on facebook live or instagram i'm not sure when i announce it tomorrow okay um and so i'm just finding ways of staying connected staying creative keeping the conversation going um and yeah hopefully people tune in for
1: that well i i'm gonna tune in that's awesome i didn't know you were doing that um thanks thanks for taking time to chat riz thank you you
0: so much brother and thank you for yeah continuing to bring us all together and allowing us to reflect
1: Yeah. No, it's my pleasure. And I I always enjoy our chats. They always leave me with uh, food for thought. So I'm going to think some more about the things you said. So thank you, Riz. And uh, thanks to all of you for joining. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating, and you might be interested in joining the Business of Fashion's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis, regular email briefings, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, biannual special print editions, and all of the online courses and learning materials from BOF Education.